Today's Old Testament lesson is from the book of Job, chapter 38, verses 1 through 18. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you, and you shall declare to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed bounds for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no farther and here shall your proud waves be stopped. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place so that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked shall be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal and it is dyed like a garment. Light is withheld from the wicked and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. This is the word of God for the people of God. Be to God. Thank you, Dana, for reading our lesson this morning. And thanks to all of our worship leaders, to our musicians who have blessed us and been used as a blessing. And Allison and Casey, Allison for that incredible uh, children's message, which was great for adults too. Uh, And Casey for the reminder of prayer, for the five finger prayer that will stay with us uh, all week long. We're grateful to all of you, and especially to those of you who are with us uh, in our streaming today. Some of you are visiting from other places by stream, And it is a great joy to have you with us. Uh, Though, as we said at the outset, the pews are empty here, I tell you, you can feel the presence of God's Spirit among us. In fact, you know the old phrase, uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Um, We certainly feel this deep spiritual connection with all of you as we worship together. We, we can, I can just imagine uh, many of you sitting here uh, at one of our four services during the week, and uh, it is a wonderful thing to know that you are with us. We feel your presence with us, and we look forward to the day uh, when that day comes when we will reunite in worship. Whatever day that is, it will be Easter when that day happens, regardless of whether or not it's April 12th, 19th, whatever, uh, it will be Easter. It will be Resurrection Day on that day. And so we look forward to being together, uh, but we're grateful to be spiritually together today. We're in the fourth week of this series. We have one more sermon uh, after today uh, on this series called Why Me? That is about the character Job. It's interesting to me that we started this series three weeks ago, the day before the tornado, the week before the pandemic. In fact, 25 days ago, many of us met right here at this altar on a Wednesday evening, 
And our foreheads were marked with the sign of the cross, with the ashes, reminding us of our humanity, reminding us of our mortality. In fact, the pastor said, as they marked the sign of the cross, from dust we have come, to dust we shall return. Now, I know that many of you gave up something for Lent, but we have given up much more than we thought we would. We have given up restaurants for Lent. We have given up eating out. We have given up sports, March Madness, and other things. And, and sometimes it feels like we have just about given up Lent for Lent during this season. But we're still here. We're still together. We're still praying, we're still interceding, we're still praising, we're still worshiping, we're still reading the Word, we're still connecting in ways that strengthen our souls and deepen our faith. I heard from one of you yesterday that you worshiped with us online last week at 9.45, but you confessed to me that you were still late for worship, even when we were streaming. I appreciate the confession. And I want to say some things never change. But for those of you who are just now logging on, come on in. We'll scoot over. We've got plenty of room. We want you to make yourself at home. In Job chapter 38 that Dana read for us, there's an encounter. There's an epiphany. God suddenly shows up in the whirlwind. This, after 37 chapters of suffering, lamenting, questioning, debating, theologizing, Job finally, finally gets his wish, an audience with God. After all this talk about God between Job and his friends, at last the Lord appears. And what you notice in the ancient language, in the Hebrew language, is in this text, the personal name for God is now used. No longer the abstract name El Elohim Shaddai, but here the name Yahweh, the covenant-making God, the God of Israel. This seemingly socially distant divine suddenly becomes very personal. I've noticed sometimes that when we talk about God, even in the clergy, we talk about God in detached, impersonal ways in fact, I've noticed that sometimes we're better at talking about God than talking with God. This is the problem with a lot of our theological chatter, I think. We get so caught up in our theology and doctrine that we no longer are attentive to the wonder of God, the transcendence of God, the majesty of the Holy One that we can become more interested in proving what we believe about God than we are interested in simply being present to God. And perhaps it was so with Job. Job had questioned God's, just, God's justice. Job had questioned God's compassion. Job had questioned God's purpose, all the while defending his own moral integrity. And the same was true for his friends. It's true still for us today that we tend to be more preoccupied with defending our own righteousness than we are declaring God's goodness until you get in the crunch. 
When you're in a crisis, you need more than theology. You need revelation. Job has been pleading to God for answers, but what he really needs is presence. And here in chapter 38, God becomes present to Job in the eye of the storm. Oddly enough, however, God does not answer Job's questions, at least not in the way that Job expected. God answers Job's questions with questions. This is so Jewish. This is totally Jewish. It reminds me, in fact, of Jesus because Jesus was a rabbi who didn't just give fill-in-the-blank answers. Although the scribes and Pharisees tried to paint Jesus into a corner with trick questions in order to cubbyhole, to, to label, to pigeonhole the teacher, to put him in a box, but Jesus would have none of it. Indeed, he responded to their questions with questions of his own. If you do the math in the Gospels, you'll discover that Jesus asked no less than 300 questions in the four Gospels, like, who do you say that I am? Why are you anxious about your clothes? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single second to your life? Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? How many loaves do you have? How many fish can you drink from the cup that I drink? Which one proved to be neighbor? Jesus was not a fill-in-the-blank rabbi. He answered questions with questions. I remember when Andrew and Haley, when our children were young, they used to go to their mother with theological questions, and she'd always say the same thing. Why don't you ask your dad? He's the preacher. And they'd say, well, we don't want to know that much about it. I'm not a fill-in-the-blank teacher either. It's interesting that Judaism is a religion of questions, and it's a part of our Judeo-Christian tradition as well. Some of you may know the name Isidore Rabi, who was a Jewish physicist, 20th century Nobel Prize winner. Isidore gave credit to his mom for making him into a scientist. He said, and I quote, when I was a boy, every other kid would come home from school and his parents would ask, what did you learn today? But my mother always asked, did you ask a good question today? Now, the Greeks had a name for this. They called it the Socratic method. That's what Socrates did. He asked questions. That keeps the conversation going, that keeps the mind working, that keeps the heart searching, that keeps the relationship growing. Not just answers, but questions. And it's no accident that in our own church, one of our core values is to be teachable all of our lives. It's no accident that the word disciple literally means learner, student, one who is ever learning, asking questions. So in this revelation in chapter 38, what Job thinks is going to be a Q&A turns into a Q&Q. Listen to the voice of God in the whirlwind. Who is this whose ignorant words smear my design with darkness? Man up. 
and I will question you. Where were you when I planned the earth? Do you know who took its dimensions, measuring its length with a tape? What were its pillars built on? Who laid the cornerstone while the morning stars burst into song and the angels shouted for joy? Where were you when I stopped the waters as they gushed forth from the womb? Where were you when I wrapped the ocean in clouds and swaddled the sea in shadows, when I closed it in with barriers and set its boundaries, saying, this far you can come but no farther? Have you ever commanded the morning? Have you ever guided dawn into its place to hold the corners of the sky and shake off the dust of the few stars left? Ever walked through the depths of the ocean or dived to the floor of the sea? Have you ever stood at the gates of doom or looked through the gates of death? Have you ever seen to the edge of the universe? Speak up if you have such knowledge. One of the things that we learn from Job is that Q and Q with God can be a bit risky. (laughs) Now and then I'll hear somebody say something like this, I've got a lot of questions for God, and someday when it comes my time to go, I'm going to ask God my questions. I hear that and I understand that and appreciate that, but I've gotten to the place in my life where I'm not nearly as concerned about my questions for God as I am God's questions for me. Jesus alerts us to the fact in Matthew 25 in the parable of the shepherd that God will have some questions for us too. What did you do for the least? What did you do for the hungry beggar? What did you do for that thirsty stranger? What did you do for the person suffering with the virus? What did you do for the imprisoned? What did you do for the lonely, the least, and the lost? Those are the questions that haunt me. In chapters 38 through 41, God asks 84 questions. And here's the interesting thing. They're all rhetorical. A rhetorical question is a literary device used to persuade or subtly influence the audience. It is a question asked not for the answer, but for the effect. In other words, a rhetorical question is not really a question at all. It's a statement dressed up like a question. For example, when someone asks you what you think is a simple question and you respond by saying, is the Pope Catholic? That's rhetorical. Do fish swim? Do birds fly? Would Tom Brady make a good titan? That's not really a question. It's a pronouncement. It means, of course. It means absolutely. And so in this revelation, in this Q&Q with God, God gives Job a whirlwind virtual tour of creation, and Job gradually begins to see things from a different point of view. He begins to see things not from his own point of view, but from God's perspective. 
And at the end of the Q&Q, Job responds in abject humility. Listen to this, Job 42. I know now, O God, that you can do all things, and nothing you wish is impossible. I have spoken of the unspeakable and tried to grasp the infinite. I had heard about you with my ears, but now I have seen you with my eyes. Therefore, I will be quiet, comforted that I am dust. It's an amazing thing when dust learns to trust. Not in our own piety, not not trust in our own integrity and virtue, but to trust in the infinite providential goodness of God. When dust learns to trust, you can live with unanswered questions because you have seen God. When God shows up in the whirlwind, in the crisis, Job forgets his question. He can't even remember what his question was. I've seen God this week. I saw God in a woman with a green thumb. She's one of our members. She comes on Saturday night. During this pandemic, she and her green thumb friends have been taking pictures of their plants and flowers that are now blooming and sending them to quarantined neighbors and friends. As a reminder, this is one of her pictures, as a reminder that Easter is near. Spring is in the air. Resurrection is coming. Renewal, new life. And what's interesting to me is the woman who sent me that picture is still grieving her husband's death. And there it is. She's an affirmation. One of our men in this church installed a birdhouse in the yard of one of our sunny day participants A man who's suffering from memory loss because of that birdhouse can now look out his window and take joy and delight in the birds of the air. He's a revelation. I saw God this week in a small group of women who are part of this community, part of this church, a circle, who decided to put together a care package of food, games, and devotionals for women in our healing housing ministry. They're a revelation. They're an affirmation. Others are delivering groceries. They're treating patients. They're patrolling the streets. They're giving blood. They're calling our seniors. They're Zooming prayer and Bible studies. I saw God in a man who couldn't get into assisted living to wish his father a happy birthday. They were on lockdown. So he brought his lawn chair and sat outside the window with his cell phone and he talked to his dad through the glass. It's a revelation. The Apostle Paul one day asked a rhetorical question to the Romans in chapter 8. We used it as an affirmation today. What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Can hardship, can distress, Can persecution, can the coronavirus, 
Can famine? Can nakedness? Can tornadoes? And then he answers his own question, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave his life for us. I tell you, when dust begins to trust, all things are possible. Last word. I have a friend in ministry who told me recently about his choir director. Her name is Beth. As a child, Beth collected dolls, all kinds of dolls. And growing up, she had neighbor friends who moved to Germany. And remembering Beth's love for dolls, they sent her a special gift. A beautiful handcrafted German doll arrived in the mail. And when she opened the package, she was absolutely heartsick to find that the face of that doll had been crushed, was broken into pieces. Her dad was a plane mechanic for Delta, a tough guy with calloused hands who rarely ever showed any emotion. Said Beth, I never felt close to my dad until one night in the midnight hours I was awakened by a light in the kitchen And I cracked the bedroom door and I saw my father leaning over the kitchen table, holding a pair of tweezers, putting that doll back together. She said, I never knew how much my father loved me until that night. She said, he's gone now, but to this day, whenever I think of God, I see those calloused hands taking my brokenness and putting the pieces back together. We're in a whirlwind today, fearful, uncertain of what tomorrow will bring, and we all have our concerns. We all have our cares. We all have our questions. But I have a question. I have a question for you today. If God can make a world out of nothing. If the Lord of hosts can make order out of chaos, if a father can raise a dead son from the grave, do you think he can take our brokenness and grief and put us together again? Do you think? Is the Pope Catholic? (laughs) Is the sky blue? (laughs) Do birds fly? Do fish swim? You know the answer to that. In the eye of a storm, we don't just need answers. We need presence. And in Christ, we have it. And by the power of the Spirit, we can give it. Because when dust learns to trust, we can endure all things through Christ who strengthens us. And that, dear friends, is the gospel according to Job. Thanks be to God.